Good morning. How are we all? How about everyone stand on your feet? Quickly. Up, 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 up. Okay. Everyone, 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 everyone. Okay. Now you can sit down again. Just checking you had a pulse. So quiet this morning. I've got a whippersnipper to compete with and I'm going to win. That's the bottom line. All right. So listen hard. Listen in- intently. Hey, uh, the last three weeks we've been uh, talking through a book in the Bible, a story about a guy named Jonah. And uh, conveniently, the book has four chapters, so we've picked a chapter each week and just been walking through his story and, and, and extracting lessons for you and for me today. Stuff that God has set in motion, principles that still apply just as much today as they did back in the story of Jonah. And the story of Jonah, it's a highlight reel, but it's a highlight reel filled with successes and failures. Let me just give you a little bit of a recap. If you're joining us for the first time today, or if you missed one of those four uh, weeks, this is a little map of, of, of the area that Jonah lived in. Jonah was from the, uh, the, the country or the nation of Israel, which at the time was God's chosen nation. Uh, the capital of that it was in, in is Jerusalem. God... Uh, the, the enemies of the Israelites were this people in a place called Assyria, the capital of which was Nineveh. And God didn't like what the Nineveh, Ninevites were doing. They would attack uh, God's chosen people, the Israelites. They would attack um, them incessantly. And I mean like crazy. Oh, yeah. All right. Hello. What was happening before? Was it not good? See, this is why we give financially, because we need better equipment, or else you're going to have 25 minutes of oral pain. All right, so keep on giving. That's the moral of that story right there. That was what we call an object lesson. Um, So, yeah, thanks very much. God orchestrated that. Um, So God called Jonah to go actually to face his mortal enemies, Jonah's people's mortal enemies, the, the Assyrians, in their capital, and actually tell them to, to, to change their ways, to turn around, to stop being evil, and to turn back to God. But Jonah, instead of obeying God and going to Nineveh, he actually hopped on the next uh, boat, the Tarshish Express. He jumped on the boat here at Joppa, and he was headed to a place called Tarshish, which at the time was the ends of the known world. The writer of the story said that Jonah wanted to run as far away from God as he can get. He wasn't just running away from Jerusalem, and he wasn't just running away from Nineveh. Ultimately, he was running away from God. And uh, we've been looking at this model, which I call the pyramid of choice, where every time you and I have God ask us to do something, we stand at a point of decision where we are faced with just two choices, not three, just two. It's very, very good for people like me who are binary. It's either obey or disobey. And in the case of Jonah, he chose to disobey. And this represents him as he continued his journey of disobedience on the way to Tarshish. This what is what would have been his journey of obedience on the way to Nineveh. And what you'll notice there is when you and I disobey God, that over a period of time, we get further and further and further and further away from where he would have us go. Jesus didn't call us just to sit still. Jesus calls us to follow him. And when he moves, we better get moving too. And if we don't, he actually puts some distance between us and him. Okay, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about doing his will. Just understand the difference there. 
Now, Jonah's on the boat. I'll fast track the story. You can go back and listen through our podcast to, to catch up on this. He's on the boat. God sends a storm. Basically, uh, God intervened. He, wanted, he still wanted his job done. He still wanted Jonah to go to the Ninevites. He still wanted the Ninevites to turn around. And so God represented and, and, and demonstrated something of his character. God is a God of the second chance. And so God intervened. God sent a storm while Jonah was on that ship. And uh, so much so that Jonah thought the only way to actually rescue the ship is if he owned up and said, God's angry at me. And if you shove me overboard, the, the storm will stop. And it did. So God staged this intervention in Jonah's life because he wanted to get his attention and he wanted to change his direction and move him back to doing his will. Now, what you'll see here is at this point of intervention, the pyramid of choice starts all over again. We've got a new uh, decision, a new point of decision where we're going to have to make the choice to obey or disobey. Okay, uh, Sam, just throw that next one up. So here's Jonah once again at the point of decision. God's going to give him a second chance. He's off the boat. He gets swallowed by a fish. The fish vomits him up on the shore. Jonah has the choice. Still, the choice is his. Do I go now to Nineveh or, which is obey, or once again to disobey? And this happens in our life time and time again. We love and serve and follow a God who's a God of the second chance. And that's fantastic. However, when he gives us a second chance, we have the second chance to obey or the second chance to disobey. And we need to learn. We need to learn from our mistakes. We need to be moving forward. We need to be maturing. Anyway, Jonah, to his credit, this time he decided to obey. And so he went walking into Nineveh. Nineveh, the city is described as being a huge city that it took three days to walk across. About 120,000 plus people lived there. Jonah walked into the center of the city and he preached a message, eight words long. The moral of the message, the bottom line was telling them to turn around. And if they didn't turn around, God was going to destroy them in 40 days. So now God has sent Jonah to intervene into the Ninevites world. And the Ninevites stood at this point in time at the point of decision. Are they going to turn around? Are they going to stop being barbaric? walking with their backs towards God and turn around and start obeying him or not. Well, fast forward the story, and we finished this just last week. To their credit, in their wisdom, wherever that came from, the Ninevites, 120,000 people, decided to obey God and repent, which means turn around and start following him. Fantastic. Jonah walks into his mortal enemy's city, preaches a sermon that's just eight words long and causes 120,000 people to turn towards God. He's considered the greatest evangelist that's ever walked the face of our planet. Now, at this point in time, you know, Jonah, if he walked uh, uh, today, he'd be on the Today Show. Uh, there'd, be, there'd be the book contracts coming out, how to, how to convert 120,000 people in eight words or less. You know, he'd be, he'd be speaking at the church growth conferences and seminars. And, you, and you'd think, by the way, Jonah has just been, I mean, how's Jonah feeling in all this? Jonah's just been used by God to actually stare down with the power of God, 
his enemies, the, the enemies of his nation, the Israelites, to speak the words of God on behalf of God. Just eight words, and they cut through with so much power and so much clarity and that, that, that 120,000 people. Turn, if, you were, you, if you were Jonah, come on, think about it. You'd have to be feeling pretty chuffed right about now, right? Pretty satisfied, pretty like, man, God used me. How co- When God uses us to do cool things, it's cool. So here's God doing, I mean, here's God doing this thing through Jonah. You think Jonah must be, he must be feeling like he's the man of power for the hour right here, right now. Well, let's pick up the story in chapter four. Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. What? What's this? He yelled at God, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. And that's why I ran off to Tarshish. Now, this is, this is the extent of Jonah's criticism of God. What a way to criticize God. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Can you imagine shaking your fist at God? God, you're so rich in mercy and grace. Grr. You know, you just love forgiving people. Grr. It's like, Jonah, you're an idiot. These aren't criticisms. These are compliments. But no, Jonah was furious. He's criticizing God for doing all these things. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. And God said, what do you have to be angry about? Love it. God, matter of fact. What do you have to be angry about? Peasant? See, this is a kind of weird, this is weird. This is like, Jonah, what, what are you smoking, mate? I mean, this just, what, what the? But here's, here's what we need to understand. Jonah was mad at God. Because God didn't give the Ninevites what he knew they deserved. The Ninevites, they had been tormenting Jonah's nation for decades. Jonah had a plan. His plan was revenge. His plan was to give the Ninevites what they deserved. That wasn't God's plan at all. God's plan was a program of forgiveness. Jonah was angry at them because they didn't get from God what Jonah thought they deserved. Here's what's ironic. Jonah was grateful that God gave him a second chance, but wasn't very pleased that God gave the Ninevites a second chance. A cosmic contradiction. And we need to understand, we we can't ever be guilty of this crime. One of the great lessons that Jesus taught us is that forgiven people forgive people. And for you and I who have been beneficiaries of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, we need to in turn reflect the character of God and forgive people, not be seeking revenge, not be seeking uh, you know, justice as we see it, but actually allowing God to work his plan of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Forgiven people, forgive people. But actually, thinking about this story and looking at it more closely, there's something a little less obvious going on under the hood here. Forgiveness is kind of the easy one. We, we, we kind of see it. It's pretty black and white. We, we, we know when we have you know, not forgiven someone, and we know when we have forgiven someone. It's, it's pretty clear to us. 
I think there's something going on with Jonah. It's, it, I, I would think it's a close cousin of forgiveness, but it's not as obvious as forgiveness or as obvious as unforgiveness. And, and, and you and I can fall victim to it as well, just like Jonah is right now. This close cousin, it's called resentment. And it's, it's, I think it's a little more insidious. I think it's a little uh, more difficult to actually spot out in the wild. And yet, here's Jonah shaking his fist at God, actually full of resentment, not just unforgiveness. And this is one of the, 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 the most important life lessons that I've ever learned. Paul, one of the heavyweights of the early church, wrote to the Romans. The Romans, you know, typical Italians, always fighting with one another. Paul wrote to them, and he gave them this really clear, really simple uh, instruction. He said, guys, I want you to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, when things go well for someone, I want you to celebrate with them. And then when things don't go so well for someone in your world, I want you to actually put your arm around them. I want you to weep with them. I want you to pray for them. But we don't always do that, do we? See, too often we flip this around and instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, too many of us choose to rejoice with those who weep and weep with those who rejoice. In other words, when things go well for someone else, we tend to weep, we tend to get angry. When someone else gets the promotion, oh, why did they get the promotion? I deserve that promotion. I'm not going to be happy. They want me to go out for drinks on Friday night. Screw them. I'm not going. I should have got the promotion. Instead of rejoicing with them, we weep with them that rejoice. Maybe it's, you know, something like someone else has a better blank. Fill in the blank. Somebody else has a better house than me. I'm not going to be happy for them for that. Someone has a better car, a better spouse, better kids. You know, a better education, a better bank account, a bigger flat screen television. What, someone, someone scored tickets to the grand final next weekend. What, whatever it happens to be. And instead of rejoicing with them, too often we can find ourselves racked with resentment and starting to weep with them, starting to actually hold it against them, starting to actually shake our fists at God. One of the, one of the, the hardest ones, and, and we, Louie and I, experienced that this week with, with a friend of ours, is to rejoice for someone that God's just answered a prayer for them. And it's actually a prayer that you yourself have been praying for, for yourself. And God hasn't answered it for you yet. And your friend breaks the news to you. And you do this. That's great. I'm so pleased to you. I'm excited. And the second they're out of your way, you're, God, I can't believe. It's resentment. And it's, and it's, it's dangerous. Or alternatively, we rejoice with those who weep. Like Nelson on The Simpsons, whenever, whenever somebody, you know, trips over or hurts themselves, Nelson comes into the camera and goes, ha! Ah! This idea that we, 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 we love too often to see bad things happen to other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. The Germans have a word for it. Sean, you're taking notes, my German friend. The Germans have a word for it. The word is called schadenfreude. And it's actually to take pleasure or to derive pleasure in the misery of others. And it's the complete opposite of what 
Paul would want us to do. And it's actually, fed, it's actually something we do to feed our insecurities. That's, where, that's at the root of this very thing. We, 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 we have these insecurities, and when somebody else falls below uh, a certain standard, we use that as an opportunity to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And I just, I'm just holding this up because, guys, let me warn you. Whilst this stuff may fuel your insecurities, it is bad fuel. It is bad fuel to run on. And, and just like putting bad fuel into a Formula One car engine, over time, the residue will build up. It will clog the pipes and the valves. And eventually, your engine, which is your heart, is going to get hard and stop working. And you're never going to find yourself rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. The mistake that we make, and this is, you know, we're, we're clever, us humans. We're clever. When we have resentment, this is a mistake, but we do this. We, we go looking for validation. We go looking for someone who's going to agree with us. Oh, yeah, I can't believe that that person got that promotion either. Oh, bestie. Yeah. Yeah. We, we go look, you know, in this sort of community of, of, of huggers kind of forms. And actually, when, when, when you have resentment in your heart, it's, we shouldn't go looking for validation. We should go looking for confrontation. We should go looking for someone who's going to get in our grill and say, you just need to actually grow a little in this. You need to actually mature a little in this. You need to actually stop feeling sorry for yourself and actually rejoice for someone who's rejoicing and, okay, weep with someone who's weeping. The, uh, the mafia boss, the godfather, you know, mafia doesn't exist. We, we all know that. It's just a Hollywood creation. But um, anyway, in the Hollywood version of the Italian mafia, um, the, the head of the, of the mafia, the head of the family is, 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 uh, is the godfather, il padrino. And uh, that godfather, that head of the, of the crime boss, who's got you know, enormous power, and in, 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 in Italy, more power than the government, um, they have someone in their world, they call him the consigliere, which translated into English means counselor. But it doesn't mean counselor like psychotherapist type counselor. It means somebody that they trust who's actually got kahunis big enough, you can ask Charlie for a translation of that word later on, big enough, that when the godfather with all this power needs someone to speak some truth to them, to bring some actual perspective, not someone who's, who's a kiss up, but someone who, that they'd actually say to them, hey, can you give me, just give, give me your perspective on this. Am I off the money? Am I, am I, think, we all need a conciliary in our, in our lives. And it might be your spouse. You might be blessed with a straight-shooting spouse, but maybe not. It might be a friend, but you know, sometimes our friends tell us what we want to hear and not what we need to hear. Sometimes. Good friends don't, but some people do. It, whoever it is, whatever, we need to make sure we don't just surround ourselves with weak-willed people who agree with every single word we say. In Russian politics, they're called apparatchiks. Okay? Any Russians? You can look that one up. We don't need a bunch of minions, a bunch of yes, yes, yes. Sometimes when we're feeling resentment, we need someone who's not going to give us validation, but give us confrontation. And this is what God is doing to Jonah right now. He says, what have you got to be angry about? But Jonah just left. 
He went out of the city to the east and sat down in a sulk. You ever done that? You ever done that when God didn't do what you thought he should have done, when he should have done it, the way he should have done it, and you decided, you know what I'm going to do, God? My best play right now is I'm going to sulk. Yeah, okay, you know, great tactic. Heck of a strategy. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Like the man of power. He can walk into the city with eight words and get them to turn around. And now plan B, just going to go sit under some branches. Well, you know, God's pretty cool. God arranged for a broadleaf tree to spring up. It grew over Jonah to call him off and get him out of his angry sulk. See, again, this is a God whose preference is mercy and forgiveness. Jonah was pleased and enjoyed the shade. He returned to his happy place. Life was looking up. But then God sent a worm. (laughs) Jonah was having a terrible, horrible, no good, something, something day. You'll probably remember that book. By dawn the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree and it withered away. The sun came up and sent a hot, blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head, and he started to faint. And he prayed to die. I'm better off dead. Now, understand a picture of God in this. The picture of God throughout this whole passage here, verses 6 to 8, the picture of God is God, the God who provides. God is Jehovah Jireh is the Hebrew word, God who provides. Here, God provided. Jonah needed some shade. God provided some shade. And we love that version of God the provider, don't we? We love that version. We, 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 we pray for that version to show up in our hour of need. I want the God who, who creates the leafy tree and gives me some shade and shelters me from the hot sun. And Jehovah Jireh, he did show up. He did provide him with the shade. Life was looking up. But then... Jehovah Jireh, God the provider, provided a worm. Oh. Oh, well, I wasn't praying for him. Not not that version. I was praying for the first version. Can we have the first version back? It's the same version. It's God, Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. God's the God who provides the tree when we need a tree. And he's the God that provides the worm when we need the worm. This is intervention. This is confrontation. This is Jonah having a sulk, feeling sorry for himself, thinking... It's God that needs to change his mind. And God's reminding him, hey, buddy, it's actually you that needs to change your mind. Forgiven people, forgive people. I forgave you and gave you a second chance. And now you're having a sulk because you thought I messed up that I didn't, that I gave Nineveh a second chance. And he provides a worm just to remind him, hey, buddy, I'm in charge of this planet and you're not. And no amount of your sulking's going to change my character, change my mind, change who I am, change my plans. My plan was to forgive Nineveh if they turned around. And guess what? To their credit, at their point of decision, they obeyed. So I went through with my plan to forgive them, to release them, to turn them around, to transform them. And you couldn't. You couldn't see through yourself. You couldn't see past your own short-sighted, small thinking, selfish. Jonah, guess what? Just to prove to you that I'm God, just to remind you that life's not all about you, I'm going to send a worm. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I can, I can provide a tree and I can provide a worm. He's both. He's Jehovah Jireh.
And what's interesting and what's important to note is that how we respond when Jehovah Jireh sends the worm is actually a reflection of our maturity. See, tough times don't actually so much create who we are as they reveal who we are. If there's a crack in a piece of timber, you standing on that piece of timber doesn't cause, if it, and it then breaks, you standing on it didn't cause that crack, it merely revealed that crack. If there's cracks in our character, cracks in our maturity, cracks in our faith, cracks in our obedience, then God sending a worm, if that causes us to break, it wasn't the worm that caused the break, it's the worm that revealed the crack in our character. So we need to understand that tough times, they don't cause us to break, they reveal cracks that are already in us that then allow things to get broken. But then the flip side is, is something that we need to understand as well, that when God sends the worm, these are opportunities for us to grow in our faith, grow in our character, grow in our obedience, grow in our maturity. How we respond to the worm is at least as important as to how we respond when God sends the tree. In fact, I think it's often more of a test how we respond to the God who sends the worm than to the God who sends the tree. In fact, you know, what's kind of weird to me is that when God sends the tree, we often don't even thank him. We, we kind of take it for granted. We have this entitlement, first world mentality. But when he sends the worm, oh yeah, then we know God, let him know where our, you know, our address and our perspective on the, on the matter. Well, God, you know, he's the God of the tree that needs to be thanked. We need to live with an attitude of gratitude when he sends the tree. And he's the God of the worm, that when he sends the worm, our question is, God, how should I best respond to this? Why have you sent the worm? What do you want to teach me here? How am I going to develop? How am I going to grow? How am I going to step up in this? I'm out of my comfort zone here. I don't like this. But look for it as an opportunity to grow. How can I do this better? God, the God of the second chance. I've been involved in the, in the health and fitness industry in different uh, ways and, and shapes, uh, no pun intended, for uh, over two decades. And, um, and one of the things, you know, you, I've seen a lot in a couple of, it's about 25 years. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of Lycra in 25 years. I've seen a lot of everything in 25 years, let me tell you. And uh, one thing that, that, it actually disheartens me, really, um, I, so I'm working out in a gym, let's say, and this, and this happened just this week. I was working out at my gym this week and uh, there's this couple and they've been coming to that gym for, they've been coming to that, they've been coming to the gym for a long time. And they wear, I know this because they wear the same clothes every time and, and those clothes are really starting to struggle to uh, hold together. And they come to that gym and, I've, and they're there about three, four times a week. And I've watched them. They've been coming to the gym for, for about 10, 15 years. And in that 10, 15 years, they, they, you know, physically, you go to the gym to kind of improve. Well, that's, that's my assumption. And uh, you spend the money to join and you make the effort to be there. And, you know, the idea is to get some sort of physical transformation going on. And I've watched this couple, and this is observation, not criticism, but I've just watched this couple. And in the 10, 15 years that I've watched them, they haven't physically changed a stitch. They've just grown older, but, but physically nothing's changed about them. And, and I'll tell you why. It's because, firstly, they do the exact same routine three days a week 
for 15 years. And if we only ever expose ourselves to the same stimuli, if we only ever hold back in our comfort zone, we will never actually grow. Growth doesn't happen in our comfort zone. You can choose growth or comfort, but not both. That's life. So these, this couple, they just do the same routine. They have to written down. They memorize it. The husband and wife, it's actually like, they're, they're like synchronized swimmers. They, quite, they move quite gracefully around the gym uh, but, but because they're moving in a very uh, well-formed but unthinking pattern. I mean, it's, 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 it's very pretty to watch. Um, but, it's, but it's heartbreaking because I just think if you guys just change things up, if you change the stimuli of some... Weeks and months, a worm was thrown into the mix. You would actually get better results. I can't tell them that. I'm just some other mug that goes to the same gym. The other thing about them is not only do they do the same routine day in, day out, week in, week out, but they actually, um, and this is a classic. Guys, guys are, are the worst ones too, by the way. So, so let's say there's a machine. It's called a lat pull-down machine. I had every intention of doing this without my... Uh, other hand here, but let's just do it. So you, grab, you sit down, sit down. There's a bar, grab the bar, grab the bar before you sit down, unless you've got extremely long arms. Grab the bar, hold the bar, pull the bar down behind your head, or actually it's better to pull it to the front of your chest. Front of your chest, touch the chest, contract the shoulder blades, and, and slowly lift it up. Quickly down. Contract, slowly lift it up. All the way up, full stretch of the latissimus dorsi. Full contraction, including some rhomboids contraction. The guy, this is how he does it. Put, puts a monster weight on, well, relatively, but puts a big weight on there, you know. Boom. He actually goes from the standing position, which is just intended to be the starting point of actually grabbing the bar. He doesn't actually get his tush to the padded bit, which you're supposed to sit on and then begin. He just kind of, it's like a leg exercise, but there's even no real leg strength required because he's going, whoa! I mean, if he put more weights on, that guy's going to be catapulted through the ceiling one day. Now, again, I didn't say anything to this guy. I'm not the paid you know, trainers there or whatever. I was sitting on the machine just next to him, you know, kind of <laughs> hoping he didn't fling off in my direction during the week. And I was doing next stop. I was just watching and thinking, there's no growth outside of our comfort zone. There's no growth when there's no pain. There's no growth when we're not stretched. There's no growth when there's no opportunity for our capacity to be wrenched beyond the comfortable, beyond the familiar, beyond the status quo. And here we had Jonah given every opportunity, every opportunity. God called him to go to Nineveh. He flipped God the bird and got in a boat instead. God gave him a second chance. He then goes and does it this time. Yay, Jonah, you're learning. You're getting it, mate. You're growing. You're growing in your obedience. Fantastic. Well done. Does the job, goes up on a hill, starts sulking. Oh, Jonah, 
you're not learning anything here, mate. You're just going around the same block, same day, different circumstances, same response. You're just doing laps, mate. You're just doing laps. God gives you a second chance. He's maybe giving you a third chance. But why do you, what does he even need to? You're not growing. You're just staying inside your comfort zone, making the same knucklehead decisions. And so here we find the end of the story as it's recorded. Then God said to Jonah, Why do you have to get angry about this shade tree? Jonah said, plenty of of right. It's made me angry enough to die. God said, what's this? How is it you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get? You neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and died the next. So why can't I likewise change the way I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong to say nothing of all the innocent animals. There's 11% of our global population who don't have access to clean drinking water. It's about 783 million people, the United Nations estimates. Okay, Over 10, 11% of our entire global population don't have access to clean drinking water. And the cascade effects of that uh, in terms of disease and death and malnutrition and so on is, is horrendous. And that's a very real, a very front and center, a very everyday issue for them, for the people that live in those parts of the world that don't have access to clean, fresh drinking water. That's their, that's their issue. We don't, we don't actually struggle with those issues. You know, we, we actually flush toilets. I mean, it's kind of, don't, you know, feel guilty next time you flush it. I mean, please, for the God's sake, flush your toilet. But what I'm saying is these people that don't have access to, flush, to, to drinking water would never even think of or dream of wasting such a precious resource. Do you understand? And, and, and here's what we need to get some perspective on. Our first world problems are pathetic. Our first world problems are pathetic. Stupid Wi-Fi, slow in this cafe. Coffee, really. Electricity, wonderful. Grand finals on next week. Only got a 50-inch LED, 3D. No, it's not 3D. I want a 3D. Harvey Norman have got a sale, 500 days interest-free. No, I haven't really got the money. Sulk. You know, <laughs> our biggest challenges, our biggest, the pr- biggest problems facing us in, in first world countries aren't the need for drinking water and electricity and medical assistance. The biggest challenge facing us is comfort and complacency. Thinking that life's all about us. Me first. You walk into a bookstore. There are shelves. Do they even have bookstores anymore? When there was bookstores, there are rows and rows of these self-help books. And uh, it's like, where's the section on, on getting a clue that life's not about us? Where's the section on... Let's not, we don't read a single thing about Jonah for the rest of the Bible. I don't know what happened after this. I don't know if he's still there on the hill, sulking. I mean, we, we just don't know. But, but God gives us opportunities. 
He places them in our hand and he says, obey or disobey. It's your choice, but I'm giving the opportunity to be used by you. I'm giving the opportunity to grow. I'm giving you the opportunity to be changed and transformed into my image and likeness. Don't tell me you don't like change. That's an insult, God would say. I sent my son Jesus so you could change. And we live these comfortable, complacent lives with our first world problems and... Sometimes we need not validation, but confrontation for God to say, stop doing laps. Stop going around and round and around the same block without learning the lessons. I am the God of the second chance, but the second marriage is only going to be better than the first if you've learned lessons from the first. The second uh, job is only going to be better than the one you got fired from if you've learned lessons from what you may have been able to do better in the first job. The, 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 the second chance of financial freedom, you're only going to experience that in all of its fullness if you learn not to accumulate debt in the first place. And the list goes on and on and on and on. One of the big takeaways, and there's been a lot about Jonah and his story for us, and we'll finish with this, is let's make sure we don't just keep chucking laps. That we are people who have a very short lag time when it comes to God asking us to do something and us saying yes as being a sign of our maturity. I want to pray for us. You know, this, I said this last week, what we do here and what we talk about and what we teach isn't just inform, information or infotainment. This is meant to be something that is placed in your cup, but you've got to go out and put it into practice. I'm going to pray that for every single one of us, that our lag time of obedience shrinks. We keep teaching on faith, and I felt God to, to uh, lead me to be teaching on faith over the last several months. And it's actually going to be a dominant theme that we're going to keep teaching on. We're going to look at it and chip away from different angles. But keep teaching on faith. And the reason that I know God wants us to keep teaching on faith and for us to keep exploring this issue of faith is, is, is faith is a muscle. It's like a muscle, and it's going to require an enormous amount of faith for God, for us to do what God's called us to do as Elevate Church. And so we're going to keep working on that muscle, but the work isn't done here. The work's done there. And so that's my prayer right now. Lord, I thank you that you keep leading us, guiding us. You keep calling us forward. You keep calling us out of our comfort zone. You keep calling us into the new things that you're doing. Lord, I pray that we, Elevate Church, will shrink our lag time. That as we hear your voice, that we'll be quick to obey. We'll be quick to say yes. We'll be quick to follow you wherever you're leading us, Lord. We'll make the sacrifices. We'll make the effort. We'll put ourselves second and you first, Lord. And that as a consequence of this, we'll, we'll increasingly know our purpose on this earth, increasingly discover our destiny, increasingly feel that, feel that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that comes from knowing that we're being used by you and not sulking off in the sidelines. We pray all that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Here's one more thing we're going to do just as we finish. And we do this every single week, and it's the most important thing we do. And that's for you if you've never made a decision to, to follow Jesus yourself. We've talked about following Jesus. It's something that each one of us individually stand at a point of decision. And we either say yes to following Jesus or we say no to following Jesus. We give you that opportunity every single Sunday. 
to say yes. And those of you who have never said yes to following Jesus, right here, right now, this morning, we're, going to, we're giving you that opportunity right now to say yes to following Jesus. And all I want you to do, for those of you that have never said yes to following Jesus, and you know that this is your opportunity right now, I just want you to slip your hand up. By slipping your hand up, you're saying, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. When I see your hand, you can put it down. Basically, you're putting your hand up to let God know that you want to follow him. So just quickly slip your hand up if you've never made this decision to say, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. The rest of us praying. When I see your hand, you can put it down. Cool. You can put your hand down. Who else? Don't miss this opportunity. This is you standing at the point of decision. I encourage you with everything in my heart to say yes this morning. Just put your hand up. Okay, we're going to pray for that person that raised their hand this morning. Say these words after me. Dear Jesus, thanks for dying in my place. Thanks for giving me thanks for forgiving me of my sins. Thanks for, give, for giving me a second chance. I say yes to follow you today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How about we celebrate for that person this morning? Just a note, just a note, those of you that communicate publicly or pray publicly, don't try to use the words forgiving and forgiving in consecutive sentences. It's just, it's very, very tricky. Hey, we've got some coffee this morning, which is tiger from an unknown region of the world, but it is delicious. And, and we're happy to debut T2T. For those of you that like a nice cup of tea, we've got several varieties of T2T, my favorite tea. So, it's all here. More importantly, say hi to someone you don't know, make them feel welcome. And then next week, we're launching a brand new conversation called Blessed. And uh, make sure you're here. Make sure you bring someone.